Hi, I'm Tom Woods, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm your host, Doug Stewart, and this is the final episode of 2020. Actually, I'm really excited about this episode because I want to look back at our year with some of my favorite people who have been joking around with me for the last 15 minutes before we recorded and a little bit of what we did record, but you're not going to hear. And so I've got the Libertarian Christian Roundtable primary set of people. I can name the right name. We've got (laughs) Matthew, Carrie, and of course, Norman on. Thanks for joining me, guys. The primaries. This is fun. The primaries. I, I couldn't think of a word that meant it was synonym. No, I like synonym that. Though. Primaries. So or the primaries. Utilize them from now on. You're my primary. Primary. Don't you get it? The first shift. <laughs> first shift. Yes, that's a, that's that's better. All right. So Front what we're going to talk about? What we're going to talk about? And the title of this episode was 2020: The Year of Fear. Obviously, if you you know are listening to this way into the future, you might have forgotten that there was a pandemic that began in 2020 or sort of at the end of 2019, but it happened in 2020 for those of us in the United States. And <laughs> I, I, how, how could anybody forget this year? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but this is so culturally relevant. How could anybody? <laughs> I mean, this is like saying Holocaust or Great Wall of China or or all right, or, or all right. Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, come on. Calm down, Matthew. I was just, I was just, yeah, calm down. I was just giving <laughs> people a little, a little, you know, a little grace if they've kind of like, oh yeah, that was right. So that was, that was, you know, only last year. Anyway, my point is, I would love for us to reflect on the year in a eh, thoughtful way. We can have fun, of course. And all of us live, each of us lives in a different part of the country. Matthew, you and I live close to each other, which is going to be actually part of my reflections for the year. But I want to, I want each of us to share a little bit about what the year was like for them in their particular region. And you don't have to give so many details that it's like, you know, we share your life story, but each of us has different work situations. Uh, it's affected us in different ways. And so I would just love to hear that and then talk about what we observed in other people, both other people around us on the internet, in our Facebook groups, in libertarian groups, in Christian groups. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. And then, of course, you guys know what questions we're going to talk about throughout the episode. So I'm going to go first, just to kind of set the stage here. I know that there were a lot of people affected by by the pandemic in a tremendously negative way, whether it's loss of life, whether it's loss of the lives of their family members, loss of jobs, uncertainty about their livelihood and their jobs. There was a lot of anxiety for me early on in, in middle to late March into April, figuring out what I was going to do. And I mostly work from home. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty about like, well, does that mean people are going to spend money on my services? And does that mean it's going to be difficult for me to get more work? So I had so, sort of those anxieties early on. On the flip side of that, I, um, I was able to experience life with my family. We were, we were at home. And we started new trends in our family, like we read the Bible and did some family devotional slash learning things. Some of that actually was related to the Tuttle Twins curriculum and learning some economics. 
and helping the kids kind of learn basic principles in that regard, plus things, you know, from the scriptures. Uh, And so I got to hang out with my kids a lot for better and for worse. But it was it was a very good time for us uh, as a family in that in that regard. I, I think I swore at my governor a little more uh, than I <laughs> feel that. have in previous years. Like I really didn't care who the governor was until this year. I mean, Matthew, you you know how that went because I've sent you you know unpublishable texts, um, <laughs> <laughs> things that you had to in good Christian faith say, Doug, you're not being Christian in what you just said. Um, <laughs> By the way, I've never said that. Uh, no, you, you've you've prided me in in very gentle ways, um, oh, okay. but you, but you also understand as well because you're at the forefront, which I'm sure you'll talk about. Uh, another thing that happened to me was I actually I got to spend more time with Matthew. Matthew and I have spent like random bits of time together throughout the years in the past four or five years because we've lived near each other. But this year, I've seen Matt more than like all those other times put together. And we've hung out, you know. We we sip bourbon around my campfire. Uh, in my backyard against government orders with another friend with whom who will remain Ooh, nameless. Resisting. Or, you know, yeah, we were resisting. And, you know, we, we spent a good amount of time. And I actually, it's not just you, Matt. There's been a few other friends where I was actually able to connect with them. And I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you're, you're not my only friend. Oh, but anyway, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I also learned that when you asked Matt to come over he will be over very soon <laughs> <laughs> he drives fast can, can i just say though that there's a reason for that because of your earlier comment of well we were just at home and we didn't have anywhere else to go but home and when somebody says hey you want to come over boom yes i do and i'm there yeah. so yeah. yeah no it was it was good uh getting to know you and your family more and just hanging out and and just enjoying enjoying some some of our shared lives together Uh, in that regard. So my reflection of the entire year was I got a lot more family and friends time. I got a lot more, I'm an introvert. You know, my default is I'd rather, you know, do things just in small groups and with my family and, you know, not go out and do parties and whatever. And so I didn't have to say yes to any of that this year. And I I don't have to say yes to it for (laughs) maybe a little bit longer. But Matt, you, you you made it into my inner circle. So I appreciate you a lot. And um, that means I'm going to tag you to go next. Oh, well, thank you for letting me in your inner circle. It, uh, I like the wallpaper. It looks great. Uh, <laughs> no, there, th- this has definitely been a very strange and challenging year. And I don't think there is at least a person in this country or especially in this state because of the whole pandemic that we that hasn't been... Uh, affected by this in some way or another. I mean, my family has definitely been affected on it on a couple of levels. One, my wife lost her her position at the school that she was working, and you know, it's one of those things where you just realize, okay, so what do we do now? And then you start to realize what it truly means to just take life as it comes. Really trust God with uh, with all of your. Uh, questions and comments and concerns, <laughs> and uh, and really take your faith to that. I guess next level of dependence. I mean, frankly, we're still in the West. We're still in the United States. Our lockdowns are pretty comfortable, even though I think that they are a gross violation of rights, and they are a problem when it pertains to us individuals as image bearers of God, but. You know, we still had snacks, <laughs> you know, um, 
we were able to be at home and we were fortunate to do so. And frankly, though, and I say that in uh, in a rather passing tone and I shouldn't be so cavalier with it because there were a lot of people that uh, that, that did not do as well or could not locked down with as much vigor as, as, as some, but I don't want to take this in too much of a serious tone because there was one thing I did say, Doug, to you, as well as some of my other friends, I said, you know, I am actually thankful for this lockdown because it has brought me a little bit closer to the people that I would call my friends. And, you know, a while ago, somebody said, if you had to, you know, go sleep on somebody's couch, you know, you had a big problem, blowout with your wife, and you could not even stay at home. Whose house would you go to to sleep on their couch? Oh, no. <laughs> I just realized. Place, isn't it? It's Doug. It's Doug. <laughs> 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 oh, my. Yeah. Well, so, welcome to Matthew's well, like, inner circle. I this section of uh, right before the beginning of the year last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, welcome to my inner circle, Doug. Uh, yeah, the wallpaper is much less desirable. So, <laughs> but th- there are a lot of things that had happened in, in my life uh, this year that, you know, helped spawn a protest movement. You know, people have called me the founder. I'm not necessarily, I'm not a founder of it. Uh, and I'm not necessarily a, the, the titular figurehead. Uh, I think I've just been probably one of the more louder and at least coherent voices that have been calling for reopen. And if you've heard of the movement of reopen PA, then I'm glad and uh, thanks for, uh, for being a part of it. But it was one of those things that I didn't plan on one bit. And it has been fascinating to see both the positives and the negatives of that. Positives being that there are so many people who join in and agree and, you know, give you a big pat on the back and a boost and, and say, yeah, let's, let's keep on this fight here. This is good. The negatives have been, you know, (laughs) uh, people have called for my death. Uh, I've had people show up at my house. Uh, I've had, you know, all manner of accusations lobbed at me that I'm secretly funded by far right wing extremists or the Koch brothers or, you know, all kinds of, uh, of mischaracterizations on myself and my family. So it's been an enlightening year. If anything, it has definitely stretched my faith, increased my friendships, and uh, really deepened our family's relationship uh, throughout this whole thing. So a tremendous amount of growth this year. You get to nominate the next person. Oh, okay. If I was holding a hacky sack that was the hacky sack of speakability, I would toss it to, well, let's get a girl's voice in here. So go ahead, Carrie. (laughs) Uh, the token girl's voice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm joking. And the tone went up a couple of octaves. Yeah. <laughs> sweet and dulcet tones. Um, well, yeah, for those people listening who don't know, I'm uh, in New Mexico, which has been, I mean, New Mexico has, has had the longest running mask mandate. We've been on lockdown, never came off lockdown 1.0. And New Mexico is also notoriously or conspicuously absent from the national narrative. So we don't typically get a lot of news coverage on what happens out here. You know, that's a good point, Carrie. As you were saying that, I just thought real quick, 
at least New York and New Jersey has to go through Pennsylvania to get to anywhere, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and at least they recognize it. But you can choose to not go to New Mexico and all the people there really just get the bum shaft. Well, and it, I mean, I, I, I hate to point this out, but there's even people who don't even realize that New Mexico is part of the United States. Like this is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in West Virginia. I kind of know what that feels like. Yeah. So <laughs> like this has been, you know, a, Matthew asked me before we started recording if I was native to New Mexico. Yes, I'm born and raised in New Mexico. And so it's always been, uh, you know, two things true of New Mexico. We're always 10 years behind the curve, whatever it is. And we are never nationally recognized for anything except for the fact that we have the worst education system in the world and we are one of the most violent states in the union. But and that's not very helped by all of the uh, popular conceptions of meth uh, yes. going on in New Mexico. So. <laughs> like that was that was the highlight of our life was getting freaking uh, Breaking Bad <laughs> produced. It was like, yes, Albuquerque's finally on the map. <laughs> Imagine going to your, uh, your your grandmother about that. Grandmother, we're, we're nationally recognized now. Oh, really? On a TV show? Oh, wonderful. What's it about? Drugs. Drug war. Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's about, yeah, you know, it's about the plight of a man with cancer who can't do anything but sell drugs in order to pay for his, anyways. You know, it's ironic because, you know, we have had the worst shutdown here. We've had the worst lockdown. We've, you know, all the things that Gavin Newsom has done in California, we did first. And, you know, initially when things locked down, I thought, well, this isn't going to be terrible for me and my kids because I work from home and homeschool anyways. But I didn't realize I had taken for granted how much we actually did go out and do our homeschool and our work away from our actual home. So we would, you know, frequent restaurants, you know, the local cafes, coffee shops, libraries, things like that. We did a lot of going out and doing our learning in the community and we didn't get to do that after the lockdown. That put a ton of stress on on my kids and being cooped up in, in a little apartment. And so that was difficult. You know, I'm sure that for myself, and I, I know this to be true, like my faith has been strengthened, but that has been in the face of contemplating things like what if the police actually do start enforcing with churches? Because, you know, we have this ridiculous rule that churches can't sing. And yet my church live streams our church services and we singing and it's a Lutheran church. So we also chant and, you know, so we don't even hide that fact. I've had wonderful conversations with my pastor about church state relationships and, you know, where we draw the line and, I'm thankful and grateful that, you know, I think that they draw those lines correctly. But, you know, I kind of feel like we've had to face some questions that a lot of other people haven't had to face. Like, am I actually willing to go to prison over going to church? That's something that I have had to contemplate this year. You know, so that's one thing that's affected me. The mask thing has really affected me. I'm somebody who can't wear a mask, despite what uh, some of those pro-maskers think. There are good reasons to not wear a mask. I can't wear a mask. 
And there have been times where I have not been able to buy food because I didn't have the proper mask. I've had video cameras shoved in my face. I've been cussed at. I've received the raw end of the the deal with that one for sure. So for us out here in New Mexico, it's been really pretty tough. Tough enough to actually start looking out of state for a new home. Hmm. And, you know, I'm, like I said, born and raised here. And I love New Mexico. I love the people here. But it's it's becoming intolerable. And that's, I mean, that's the unfortunate reality that that we're looking at here. So, you know, as far as my my faith is concerned, that couldn't be stronger. But, you know, there is definitely a juxtaposition between that and feeling the uh, the pressure from the state. I mean, a couple of reflections though, Carrie. I wonder how many people, because it's myself included, had to have those kinds of tough conversations with their pastor through this thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I feel almost blessed that our pastor, for whatever reason, I don't know why, didn't seem to have that mentality that we just have to go along with the state and do whatever they say in Romans 13 this. I mean, there was, there was, a very brief moment in time where I thought maybe he would do that. Mm. But I have been able to actually have conversations with them about libertarianism and even anarchism. And, you know, they've since read, well, his his wife has read the book, Faith Seeking Freedom. And so it's actually opened up many, many doors as far as, you know, the people who are in my immediate, you know, circle of people. And so we've been blessed to have a church that I think has taken the right approach. We haven't capitulated to everything, but we're also not trying to use our church as a a bully pulpit or doing publicity stunts or anything like that. We're just going about our business. We're worshiping God on Sunday. We're doing what what we should be doing. We are following our conscience and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean... I feel for those people who have not had the successful conversations with their pastors or church leadership one way or the other, right? I think even those churches who were almost, you know, militant and opposing the state without regard for those people who had genuine concerns about the virus. I think that was probably a mistake. There's... Yep. (laughs) You know, there... I think swinging in in either direction, right, is the wrong thing to do. Mm. And I'm grateful that our church didn't do that. You know, they've tried to respect those people who have genuine concerns and they've tried to respect those people who, you know, didn't have so much of a concern for the virus, but were concerned about state overreach and things like that. And I've just, I've heard horror stories from, from both sides of that issue. And it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I guess the 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 pandemic or in our case, I mean, because we've had relatively low cases, we've had very low deaths, you know, all of our numbers are super low, which makes like, Doesn't make any sense. to me, that makes, yeah, to me, that makes the lockdown that much more enraging. That's pretty insulting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, like right now, as it stands right now, it's like, we're dealing with below freezing weather and... People are standing in line for two and a half hours just to get into a grocery store because there's a maximum of 75 people allowed in there. And, 
our governor doesn't care. I mean, she even had the nerve to say, it's not her fault that people are standing in line for food. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's really tough to be able to, you know, try and find a silver lining in the situation that we've been in because we just, we haven't had the crazy numbers that New York has had and California has had. And yet we're on one of the worst lockdowns mm-hmm. in the union. So. So that would be matriarchalism, right? Uh-huh. Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. Yes, the the matriarchy is as bad as the patriarchy. <laughs> Good to know. Well, at least we're equal in our uh, assessment of both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. True. Norm, how's it been in St. Louis? I would have to say that my experience of this whole year, I think, has been rather different than many others. L- largely because for two reasons, I would say. And actually, I'll even throw it. There's really, I guess there's really three reasons. The first is that I am a professional in the infection prevention or infection control field. And thus, I've been on the corona train since like literally the first two weeks of January last, like this year. So we were we were aware of this, like, you know, in the United States very early on, uh, observing what was going on in China, especially since my company manufactures a lot of stuff for, in China. And so we're always pretty aware of what's going on over there. Uh, so it's your fault. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> no, but, but this is, the, I mean, the reality is that we were aware that this was a thing. We saw it coming. We saw what what the early reactions from the federal side, and we had because I mean we obviously it, when travel was shut down from China that immediately affects okay what do we do what is how does this affect shipping, and uh, especially as we were approaching you know so, so called Chinese New Year, uh, which is toward the end of February, as many many of you know, and that. Uh, and, and very early on, that started affecting my travel because I was supposed to go to Vietnam in February as well. And uh, that ended up getting canceled. Uh, and geez, I mean, we were we were very much ensconced in the monitoring of things, uh, you know, as early as, you know, the first two weeks of January. And then, you know, we, we proceeded through March. And most people recall it was an early March where stuff started to really start heating up. And there were questions as to, you know, how much travel are we going to be able to do? And because, and, uh, you know, my, my company does a lot of, of travel uh, on the sales side in particular. But uh, us engineers, we do travel as well for varying reasons. And I very distinctly was in Florida uh, at a big conference during the first week of March. And stuff started blowing up. Uh, got back, and within a week of getting back home, New York started going crazy. And we were planning here at LCI, we were in another month, we were intending to be in New York City uh, for the Soho Forum debate. Oh, mm-hmm. right? And we forgot about yeah. that. And it was actually during the yeah. week while I was in Florida where we suddenly, d- we, we decided that this was, uh, I remember very distinctly being in my hotel room and talking to Doug over the phone and going, well, I guess this, I guess this means we got to cancel. I, we we have to now, don't we? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a this is going to blow, and so we canceled. We started making preparations, and then it was within a couple of weeks when New York City became went on on fire, and uh, I mean, basically, it was crazy. 
And, uh, you know, we were, my, my company was trying to help out. We were standing up equipment left and right remotely, just trying to help contain things. And it was, it was wild. Uh, I mean, I, I was, uh, that was about the time where, you know, there was the, the, a lot of people will recall the, uh, the, the PPE stockpile was getting low. And, uh, that there was a big, you know, kind of hullabaloo at the federal end for that. And, uh, Trump was talking about, oh, we got to, you know, three, we gotta, we're going to have 3M make 15 million masks a month and, you know, fa- uh, the N95 face masks. And while simultaneously I'm doing like my darndest to try and research how to reuse them using ultraviolet disinfection techniques. And we figured that out, by the way. That was part of why New York was standing up our devices for all over the place. Uh, I mean, proceeding from there to, you know, wow, April, by April and May, stuff was getting really shut down. We were working really hard to to validate different equipment in different ways so that we could support these efforts all over the United States and uh, trying to produce as much as we could. So, I mean, I guess what it comes down to is that, and, and it's never stopped since then. This year has been an absolute mammoth year of work on my end. Uh, And just nothing but thinking about infection transmission, uh, prevention and control from a hospital point of view, thinking about cross-contamination vectors. How are we going to support these people? How are we going to improve our equipment? How are we going to get it to them? How are we going to do this? How are we going to, how are we going to support, you know, everything from, how do they disinfect a keyboard to how can they, you know, reuse an N95 mask to how are they going to disinfect a cell phone? How are we going to deal with anything they want to throw into these devices? I mean, it's just been, it's been a madhouse. It's resulted in a, in a good year for business for sure. Uh, but it has been very stressful in that regard. But on the, you know, so that, that's really been my year is I, it's been a year of just wild science nonstop to the point at which, you know, I I've been, progressively getting more involved uh, with groups of people from across the industry trying to develop more new standards uh, for UV devices, publishing journals. I, I've somehow become a, a de facto leader of a group that's doing the first ever non-NIST employee NIST journal, hmm. academic journal basically, which normally is sub- all papers that are submitted by NIST employees or NIST you know, researchers, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And uh, yeah, I, I suddenly were, I'm now a reviewer. I'm now going to, I mean, I'm basically on the board. It's crazy. I mean, there's just this wild stuff going on all across the, the science and, and, and the disciplines here. That's been my year. And then aside from that, it's really been uh, keeping up with what we could do with LCI. And then of course, trying our darndest to, to figure out what we're going to do as a family. That's, been another challenge simply because, well, you know, when you when you have a family like ours where we have a special needs kid, it's difficult. We're already difficult uh, in in the way that we have to interact amongst the community anyway. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's just made it progressively like it was progressively more difficult, but also simpler on some level because we couldn't just do what we 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 were already not normal. So transitioning away from the already not normal to just slightly away from that already not normal wasn't as bad for us. It wasn't as big of a pivot for Mm -hmm. us as I think it was for other people, but it did present us with a lot of extra challenges. And uh, it was interesting because, you know, being Mm -hmm. part of, being part of a church uh, in the, in the community, I mean, we were already having issues in trying to get the whole family there. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, we basically had to start doing 
like we, if you, if you think it's difficult bringing, you know, three kids who are including a special needs kid into church in a normal day, trying to do it in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> is like just not going to happen. <laughs> so it's been a, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been very awkward in that respect for us. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's strange to kind of talk about it because it's been the, the year to me has been so dominated by the science and doing my, my utmost to support the efforts to try and, and contain and help hospitals contain the virus in hospitals, help hospitals to operate within it. Uh, it's hard for me to kind of get out of that mindset uh, and see what else, else is going on. I, I will say that the, that the disheartening thing to me has been the just amongst the range of reactions and, and things that people have said regarding, you know, COVID itself, ranging even amongst, you know, many of my fellow libertarians uh, about talking about it like it's some sort of hoax that, oh, this virus doesn't exist. I've even heard people say like virology doesn't exist. And, and it's just like, I, I, have to, I have to wonder what happened to you guys? Uh, it just, it just uh-huh. bugs the living crud out of me that how, did, how, did the, how, did, how does that become a thing? And no. I don't understand it. And because I, from like, I'm, I, I know for a fact that this is what's going on guys. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, like it or not, I mean, we can, we can argue about statistics and, and whether or not stuff's getting overcounted or maybe undercounted or what, what the death rate is or varying things to that effect. Uh, treatments that are possible, you know, the, the varying ways in, in, of techniques by which we might go about preventing things. You know, I'm against lockdowns as well. You know, that's not the issue. But like, the, what, what, are the, what are the possible ways of dealing with stuff? Like, we can debate sort of things and whatnot. But don't tell me the stuff's just not happening. So that's, that's what's so crazy about it all. And then I I think I'll just sort of conclude with, you know, the, you know, Carrie, you mentioned having to deal with varying Christians uh, and the possibility of, oh man, you know, trying to have varying conversations with pastors and whatnot. Uh, That, that has been an interesting sort of thing over here as well. Only in the sense that maybe it's just because we don't have the kind of lockdown situation that New Mexico does it's not really been a concrete issue over here as to what we needed to do as a congregation. Uh, we felt that we, we had reason to, to act in all the ways that we've ended up behaving as a congregation. And that's been heartening, I guess, as a, as a corollary to the disheartening. Uh, and, and I mean, to, to wit, um, I think the other thing that is notable is that the, the churches of Christ at least, and, and, uh, I mean, this is kind of punctuated on some level by the podcast that we've just recorded and, and was already is previously is now out uh, by the time you hear this, which was our, the recording we did with um, the podcast we did with John Mark Hicks uh, talking about our history in the Churches of Christ and that we don't have this structural love of the state <laughs> by any means built uh-huh. into our DNA. And so that helps a good bit. Uh, and then I think the another kind of final interesting thing is that it was said very early on by our minister uh, at O'Fallon Church that this time would would really reveal uh, the our strength as a church. Mm-hmm. And I think that is definitely evident amongst American Christianity right now is that the, okay. the strengths and weaknesses are now coming out. And uh, mm-hmm. whether it is because a church is dominated by a cult of personality rather than by 
actual worship of the Savior, yeah. uh, or if it is that people are just too timid uh, to need to be able to take anything in other than you know spiritual milk, if you will, uh, that 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 they're that they're going to have to grow up as a result of this yeah. and strengthen become strengthened in their faith, and so this is you know this is going to weed some chaff out. So yeah, yeah. you know. On some level, we can be thankful for that. You know, I was, I'll, I'll segue out of this portion of our conversation a little bit. The other night we had some friends over and we were sort of reflecting on the fact that in, in our church, the our church has done a great job of accommodating about as many viewpoints as possible on this whole thing. I know for a fact that on the elder board of our church, they <laughs> there's a wide variety of people's take on what the church should do. And they've done a really good job of sort of diversifying how they approach it. But what we what we agreed on in our conversation with with our friends is that this whole pandemic has uncovered needs that the church has acknowledged but were made real during this year. Yep. Yeah. That is uh, so people's true. needs. And can you can you expand yeah, on that? I, I want to know what you mean. The one way that we were talking about it had to do with people needing and craving community. And before the pandemic, you could kind of do the the very American individualist thing and say, you know what, you know, you come to our church, we really like that you're here in our services and worshiping with us corporately, but you know, you really need to connect with a small group, or what we call in our church call them life groups, and that's a big deal in our church to push people to like connect with people in their local groups. Cause our church is like 1500 to 2000 or more, depending. Hmm. Um, uh, I actually don't know because we just did an expansion. Like literally our church had a new building. We had one worship service on like second week of March and then we were shut down um, or we're told that we should shut down and the church did and did live stream and all that. But uh, so the church was growing and we don't, I don't actually know what the number is, but anyway, upwards of 2000 people. And it's, it's, it, you know, you have to connect with people. You have to become part of a life or small group, however you want to talk about it. And before the pandemic, we could just sort of say, hey, you know what? We're doing our job and encouraging people and always talking about finding a small group and a life group, et cetera, et cetera. Now you kind of, the, the church kind of has to try to help people make it happen because you can't tell them to like start doing house churches only, you know, because you don't want them to, you know, do risky things against, you know, what they feel comfortable with and all that. But now you got people who are, literally stuck at home because they're at risk. Well, how do you do that? You know, and so you, we've had to sort of puzzle over what does it look like to meet the needs of people who can't meet, but also meet the needs of people who are craving to have community. I mean, I remember in the summer, we went to a friend's house, uh, friends of ours, they took their TV and put it on a table outside and people socially distanced outside. And I mean, it was beautiful weather and we, we worshiped that way with our church's live stream. Uh, we did that for a few months and then, you know, it shifted because of weather and other concerns, uh, other other reasons, you know, it just kind of transitioned into other things. Um, that, that's kind of what we meant in our conversation. Uh, Norm and Carrie, you kind of, you know, affirmed that or you didn't say amen, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I were preaching, you would have. So I don't know if you have your uh, remarks on that as well. Go for it, Carrie. <laughs> oh, well, I think my perspective is maybe a little bit more of a can of worms, but the things that that I have noticed in my circles online in particular is what I call the anti-abuse community within uh, the Reformed Church. 
the anti-abuse community, I think, within the church is having to really come to terms with even their own message and what's been happening in the church, uh, the problems with with abuse in, in the church and being able to see that abuse as as coming from the state as well. And not just that, but also like what you were saying, Doug, meeting the needs of people in spite of all of that. You know, so what I've observed throughout this whole thing is lots of people who want to care for other people, who want the church to, you know, to be the church and to not just love each other, but, you know, reach out to those in need. It's causing just the juxtaposition between the reality of the pandemic, because I wholeheartedly agree with Norm, this is, this is real, it's not a hoax, but having to deal with the realities of, of, a, of a pandemic while simultaneously understanding that things like abuse of power in the government is also a real thing and, you know, rights matter whether you're being abused by a spouse, you know, or a, a church leader or a politician. And so those those conversations have had to start happening and I've seen it with a few people but yeah that's that's just sort of the the things that I've observed in that regard. I think the way in which I've seen this I think most evident has been in the way in the way in which our church has rallied together like even even in just seeing you know the uptick in uh online participation you know, uh, just even just even the sheer numbers of realizing that hey, like we just we're now steadily hitting a, a, a the level of online participation that 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 more or less equates to what we were normally hitting on Sunday morning, hmm. and that began that that's like that's a real thing, and it's like wow, okay, we have that's commitment. Even I'm happy to see that in our church because I'm I, you know it's it's not always easy to especially in the position where I'm in where uh, it's some it sometimes is hard for us to participate as a family to see that in my brothers and sisters at the congregation to know that they're they're present they're there they're supporting uh, and which means that indirectly they're supporting us uh, as a family um, that's evident and I really appreciated that um, you know from our from our congregation. I also see, however, the relative responses or things I've heard from uh, from other people in their congregations and realizing that that is not the case. And that tells me something else that's going on uh, and something unfortunate, if you will. So I, I think that's kind of where I'm, what I feel with regards to that. But that's where for us, uh, it's been, I think it's been heartening to kind of observe. Mm. You know, there were a couple of things, Norm, as you were talking earlier, that really struck me. And it's one of those things that you just kind of want to see on the other side of all of this. If you could fast forward the tape about five years. Yeah. I would would love to hear the conversation at some point. And this might be coming to grips with uh, (laughs) some of Americans' idols. Not American Idol, but uh, right. <laughs> but some yes. of the idols that Americans have held to, and not just within the church, but also uh, just in American cultural American culture in general. Uh, the the differences between respecting science and scientism, uh, 
yeah. or the abuse of scientific authority or not at least adhering to some sort of scientific authority. You know, wh- where does that all blend in and come into? And I think how does the church respond to that is a big aspect to this because I agree wholeheartedly. This has had a winnowing effect on the church as a whole. And I actually think that's a really good thing in the long run of it. You know, it was, mm-hmm. somebody said it to me uh, early on in the, in the, uh, the pandemic, but if you, if you hold God as sovereign, you have to look at this thing and realize God chose to limit his worship. And I just thought that's fascinating to think of it in that way. That if if we're going to, as church goers, uh, just play the church game, and if we come up against a situation where we're just not able to play that game anymore, we have a real we're, we're confronted with something. Are we going to say this is a real thing, or are we going to say eh, it's just a game I've been playing and I'm gonna let go of it? So mm. having that winnowing effect by COVID nineteen, I think in the long run is going to be a very good thing. But out of all of us, I would say, and especially within the church community, the group of people that have had probably the most fantastic year during COVID-19 is post-millennial dispensationalists. I think they've been having <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with that? Pre-millennial. Sorry, pre-millennial <laughs> dispensationalists. Oh, okay. Those are opposite. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to get... <laughs> <laughs> that that's a great that's, we've talked about this before um probably a little <laughs> off trail here uh but since we've sort of ventured into a little bit more uh, uh uplifting a beat um i matt i want to know from you I'll, I'll start with you what is something that happened this year during the pandemic that you didn't predict you know and and I, obviously i mean everything around 2020 is roughly about the pandemic although life did go on in ways that weren't super affected but what what went on? What did you see happen that you didn't predict, but was a pleasant surprise? <laughs> uh, a lot of things, but I would say... Other than hanging out with me. But, well, okay. Well, that takes away the third one. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say two things uh, that really was a pleasant surprise. Uh, and it has one has to do with the relationship with my wife because... You know, my wife and I have not always agreed on certain aspects of politics and, you know, life and how we view the government and, and those kinds of things. It's not that we never talked about them or, you know, disagreed vehemently on, yeah. but it was just one of those things that, uh, okay, well, you know, you're, you're thinking this and I'm thinking that. And, you know, just, I would say regular husband and wife stuff that we just tend to think things differently. Uh, this year, my wife <laughs> has, has jumped off of the libertarian ledge, uh, and she was like, all these people are crazy. We can't be doing this with the state. This is absolutely nuts. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yay! <laughs> well, if you want to help her fly off the ledge rather than just fall, uh, we have a book. Yeah, there's a book for that. I know you have copies. <laughs> there's a book for that. Fly I, off I the handed ledge. you five copies. At least one of them should be devoured by your wife. And one of them is not for resale. So anyway, Ooh, yes, uh, that's <laughs> but the second thing 
that I would say was just a joy and a pleasure and an absolute surprise. And frankly, I think a role that fit really uh, re- fit me very comfortably was to find out from Carrie that I'm a patriarchalist. So that's been, <laughs> that's been wonderful. That was, that was self-professed, Matthew. Uh, that was wow. wonderful. <laughs> If you've ever watched our Roundtable YouTube channel page, whatever you call it, it's not really a channel, I guess, but our episodes, Carrie and Matt have this little spat going on about what patriarchalism feminism is. And yeah, running joke. Yeah, it's not more of a spat. It's more of a running joke. It's all in good fun. I don't even know what that's about. Maybe we'll find out sometime. Someday. Someday. (laughs) Maybe. Someday. 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 I'm going to be a little... With my answer here, I am going to answer it in such a way that is almost inconsequential on the one hand. But well, I'm glad you're telling us this then. I don't know why I'm really happy about it. And, and <laughs> one of the ways I predicted one of the ways I predicted this would change is schooling. And the fact that I mean libertarians for years have been saying that traditional schooling has been like what the same for a hundred years and nothing else in the world has been the same for a hundred years. Um, and so that's been forcing all educational opportunities, you know, that are more traditional to rethink how do we educate kids during a pandemic? Okay. Um, so that was kind of nice, but, but here's the one, here's the inconsequential one. And that is at home movie releases. (laughs) 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 I I realize, I realize that that's, hmm, I don't know. That's probably a pretty privileged thing to to be happy about. And 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 I'll completely own that. But when <laughs> when I didn't when I This is because ago, of Hamilton, isn't it? it? I was just about to say it is. <laughs> a year ago, a year ago, Carrie, when I went to see your debate with Walter Block. Uh-huh. My wife and I spent a weekend in New York and I was I was like, "Hey, you know what? I hear I hear Hamilton's really good. Oh my I'll, gosh. I'll, I'll, I'll go buy tickets for it." And and it was one of those things where like, hey, this is going to be just, you know, what we do for Christmas with each other, right? Instead of buying a bunch of gifts, we'll just splurge on going to New York City and Hamilton. I just couldn't buy the tickets. It was like, oh, that's so expensive. And How so much I were they, know. dog? Oh, I don't know. They were like <laughs> 260 a piece or something. Oh, and really I was true. mentally, I was prepared to splurge on that. But then once I got to the page... It's like, oh, no, like the stick, you know, the reality of clicking by is just not, <laughs> not there. So we went to see the kill, To Kill a Mockingbird, which was starring Ed Harris. Uh, at, well, we thought it was going to be Jeff Daniels, but then Ed Harris was the person uh, for when we went. But anyway, I was super happy when Hamilton came out on Disney Plus because I was like, ooh, I dodged that. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, Hamilton was kind of the start of it in a lot of ways for me is noticing these things coming out direct to streaming. And, you know, Wonder Woman 1984 is out on streaming and it's and also in theaters. And there's an announcement with, you know, a whole bunch of movies that are coming out in 2021. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is great because, you know, it's a huge effort for my wife and me to figure out how to pay for (laughs) going to the movies. We got to get childcare, you know, go buy two tickets, all this. It's like, wait, we could just buy it and stream it at home and, you know. We can enjoy the sound and, you know, experience in our, on our HDTV. So I, I know that that's kind of a privileged thing to say, but I'm really happy about that. And also, you know, streaming, just, just direct to streaming stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just great. I don't know what the, the pipeline looks like for late 2021, because I know that there's a lot of studios that aren't 
fully up and running and and all that. But I don't know. That's well, you, that's you look at it. Uh, coming from the entertainment industry as my first love, uh, the old standby of you know direct to home video yeah. uh, movies. You know, you you, you kind of had that conversation in the back of your head, of like, well, I guess somebody at the studio wised up and said, "This is never going to fly in the theaters. Let's just send it to their home video." Well, it's a whole different thing now, though. But it's a whole different thing now because right. people are like, "Oh, great! It's it, I don't have to go out to the theaters and I can see this at home." Yay! Yeah. Except whenever yeah. Disney Plus charges thirty bucks for Mulan, what, but that was a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but hang on, hang on about that. What's that? Like, but hang on here. So if I had gone with my family, we would have spent at least 50, 60 bucks, 60 bucks for a family of five to go see a movie in the theaters. That's so it. So I realized that <laughs> that's it, right? Well, we don't, we, we sneak in snacks. Oh. Um, we don't buy them there. Oh, your tickets but, are cheap too, apparently. <laughs> um, okay, whatever. 60 plus dollars <laughs> wherever you go. Yeah, anyway, gosh, where's Norman going to see the, the movie theater? He's gosh. going to the theater that's like what the end of Wally looks like. Yeah, um, the Ritz anyway. Carlton in space. <laughs> Anywho, I'm not sure I know what you're um, talking about, but I'll just give you the benefit. <laughs> wait, wait, Wally on Earth or Wally in space? Because those are two different things. <laughs> All right, gosh. <laughs> what is happening? That was a reference that didn't I don't know. Fly, so let's just. I'm going to rein it in here and say it's cheaper for me to pay for Mulan to go on Disney Plus Premium, yeah. whatever it is. So anyway, I realized that for like you know a single person who wants to just watch a movie, yeah, thirty bucks is way more than a movie ticket. But anyway, that's that. We we digress. All right, uh, pleasant surprise, Norman, Carrie. Uh, well, can I talk science again? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. As long as it's real science, just put on put on your really geeky voice. Yeah, let me let me put on my my geek hat for a second and, <laughs> and just say that. So as I mentioned, I do I deal in UV technology, and I think the pleasant surprise has strangely been that suddenly uh, my profession has catapulted itself into the front runner of uh, of useful technologies to combat. Uh, you know, viruses and in, in air disinfection and hospital rooms and elsewhere. Uh, and that's been really kind of cool to see. I mean, suddenly like my expertise is like in, in massive demand. Yeah. Uh, we're running gangbusters and I'm at the forefront of a research field that's actually like consequential it, right now. That's <laughs> been pretty cool uh, in that regard, at least. And and you really do feel like you know, you're actually making some serious progress and and uh, and and combating something at a real level uh, that's going to make a difference. And the thing is, is that prior, I, I think prior to this year, the there is a growing realization and i mean most of our listeners will not be really be aware of this so i'm just gonna that's why i kind of have to say you gotta put them you gotta let me geek out for a second here but like hospital acquired infections are a real problem across the world uh, you know three hundred thousand people in the united states have died potentially we'll say uh due to covid uh we're uh, approaching somewhere in the vicinity of of one and a half million or more across the world uh overall as a result of covid that is on the order of how many people die per year uh, just from hospital-acquired infections across the world. Anyway, hmm. now that that goes a that's a and it's a massive problem. Uh, there's there's just it's something where preventable disease is become is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. In fact, because of uh, multi-drug resistant microorganisms or MDROs. 
Uh, and this is a this is something that we have to combat at an institutional level. And by that, I mean at the hospital level. It's not just something where, you know, an individual can just go like, oh, I'll just pop another pill and it'll be okay. That's kind of the point of the problem, in fact, is that uh, the problem with, you know, over-prescription of antibiotics and whatnot has led to um, drug-resistant microorganisms. And that's why if you've ever heard of MRSA infections, well, that's methicillin-resistant staphylococcus or CRE, carbapenem-resistant uh, or VRE, vancomycin-resistant. And I mean, again, I can nerd out all over the place on this stuff. Uh, You're looking this up in a glossary, right? No, I'm I'm going right <laughs> out of uh, my head here. <laughs> I talk about this stuff all the time, man. We'll put them in the show notes page. Yeah, no, yeah. we won't. <laughs> Links on the show note page for all the things <laughs> Norm, <laughs> Norm threw out there out of nowhere. Uh, Translation available at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, though, is that this has not been something that the certainly not the greater population has been aware of that hospitals understand that there's an issue but there's been there have been structural issues that kind of either diminish the desire to go after solutions or disincentivize going after solutions at times that would take about an hour to explain but what we're seeing is this growing realization that patient care matters in this regard and that our technology uh, that we use and implement is important in that regard. That UV technology in particular is important. So anyway, the, the whole point is that this technology is something that I think a lot of people don't see mm-hmm. as part of progress that is occurring constantly around us that improves mm-hmm. people's lives. Yeah. Most of us have no idea about what's going on behind the scenes on any host of a multitude of fields that makes things work, whether that's healthcare or high technology for microelectronics or all sorts of different stuff, right? These are, so to, to be at the forefront of one of those things and to see that happening uh, before my eyes and watching the progress occur has been pretty cool. There, there have been unexpected rock stars, epidemiologists being one of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, and definitely uh, your profession, you know, I can see in 2019 at the hotel bar, somebody saying, hey, so what do you do? And you say, well, I'm in the field of UV disinfectants for hospitals. And I'm just going, oh, oh great, great. <laughs> but now you say, you're like, oh, wow, that's really necessary. Thank you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I don't get the free yeah. coffee, though, at, uh, at Starbucks. Carrie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how about you? What have you uh, found surprising but pleasant? Well, I know you're in New Mexico, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stretching, I'm stretching. Um, I think that uh, my pleasant surprises have just been in my own personal interactions and and personal experiences with people. Unfortunately, that doesn't include anything that has anything to do with New Mexico. <laughs> You know, that's sort of been one great big disappointment after another. But, you know, I've... I Actually, can I say something I've been pleasantly observing from about even your side, Carrie? Is is your uh, promulgation of your own educational ventures and your, your, uh, your classes that you offer and how those have grown. I think that's been pretty cool to just observe from the sidelines. Yeah, my... Um, my courses have been wonderful and I've I've had now two sessions. I've had the summer session which was the inaugural session and then the fall session I just wrapped up this week. They've been wonderful and my students have have really loved it and 
maybe they've been pleasantly surprised by by the courses. And just this idea that they can have these intellectually stimulating conversations that both challenge them, but don't turn into this, you know, argumentative nightmare that you typically find on social media. So, you know, I think that has been sort of the the silver lining or bright light in my experience has definitely been my courses. They've been wonderful. And I've actually, I've been invited to develop a course to teach teachers how to use the Socratic method in in their classrooms. And uh, so that's what I'm doing right now. Hey, so throw out the website, just so if, if you have homeschoolers out there, you want to learn <laughs> with learn with Carrie, where do you go for that? Yeah, so courses.mereliberty.com. Um, I have classes for middle schoolers, high schoolers, and adults. And um, basically it's uh, teaching the skills of critical thinking through the Socratic method. And our conversations are centered around, you know, the principles of a free society. Novel thought. Yes. <laughs> um, and they've they've really been they've really been great. I remember one of my students when he first started, he was a middle school student, and his his mom reached out to me at the very beginning. And she's she was kind of worried. She said, you know, this really seems like it's over my son's head. I'm not sure that that this is a good fit for him. And I said, Well, this is actually an opportunity for him to stretch his brain. And so what he's experiencing is not unusual. It's completely normal. And by the end of the course, like he had decided that what he wants to pursue is studying Austrian economic theory and libertarian philosophy. So um, (laughs) at any rate, you know, it's just been, it's been a really rewarding experience and being able to interact with the kids. I love interacting with, with kids and helping them learn to think because they want to do that and they don't get that opportunity in school. And I give them that opportunity and they just, they run with it. And it's, it's been, it's been really fun. So. How many of you were surprised that within the year we had a vaccine? I was surprised. <laughs> I, I don't, I, we, look, we oh, can man. criticize how it came about. All, all, I mean, no, it wasn't free market. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, are you surprised that it exists at this? I mean, we're ending the year with a vaccine and as critical as we can be about all kinds of things, it exists. And that is a first in history. You want me to tell you why I'm not surprised? Yeah, please. <laughs> so, sorry, Ash. We could double the length of this episode and have a debate. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it pithy. Operation Warp Speed was begun executing over the summer. And I was privy to the information before it got started uh, for a variety of reasons. I'm not, I will neither confirm nor deny that I was part of it. No, I was not. (laughs) But I was aware of people who were. former colleagues. Uh, It was a massive effort. I'm actually not that surprised because once you start removing a lot of this red tape, uh, there is a lot that can be sped up. Uh, And that's remarkable what they were able to, they were still able to accomplish. I mean, you know, look, I'm all, I'm, I'm against the federal government. Don't get me wrong. But as it pertains to at least the way in which it went about, like they actually did accomplish this, it's pretty crazy remarkable how they did this. Uh, just from, from, the, from the, all the stuff that I've been able to learn about it and the interactions that I've had with people in the projects, it's really cool. Um, 
that's not going to come across, I think, as well to some people as others, but it's pretty, it, I'm just, I'm going out there and saying it. It was a remarkable project and a remarkable accomplishment. You can marvel at the efficacy or um, um, efficiency or speed, or you can marvel at things in the world that we live in without saying these are libertarian ways yeah. of accomplishing things. Of course. And you I, know, I think that's so sort of it's, okay to, it's okay to be like, hey, given the circumstances that we're in, yeah. oh, it's not so bad. I mean, that sounds like what you're kind of going yeah, for. I mean, it's like, it, hey, if we can, you know. if we can be impressed at the ability of the you know military to <laughs> move hundreds of thousands of people across an ocean instant, you know, near instantaneously, I think we can be a you know at least remark upon how re- remarkable this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and, I and really... it, it is indicative, by the way, though, of one very important thing. I mean, you want to talk about something that was sur- sur- surprise, not surprise. You know, it's it, it's remarkable how uh, you know early on there was a great there was a great article that uh, uh, Reason released like in a there in response to the New York Times article I think it was that was called "There are no libertarians in a pandemic," uh-huh. and the Reason released the article "Everyone is a libertarian in a pandemic." Yep. because suddenly regulations started getting lax. Uh, certain things became non-issues in terms of getting uh, supplies out to people and you know mm-hmm. dealing with certain types of logistical uh, uh, difficulties and whatnot. And it's suddenly it's like, well, if it can be like this now, why not all the time? And so that's really the lesson behind the vaccine here as well, is that yeah, medical yeah. advancement can happen a lot faster if the government just gets out of the way. And that's kind of what happened yeah. I'm having yeah. well, good conversations with people just on the fact of how much occupational licensing is silly, yeah. and it's because of this pandemic. They say this yeah. is just ridiculous. They're holding these things yeah. over our heads to make money. Yeah. 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 yeah, Well, and I've I've pointed out to people, if you recall, way back in March when things first started shutting down, the market responded famously. Oh, yeah. Like you had you had independent labs who were stepping up right away saying, yep. "Hey, we're going to we're going to create tests." You had Comcast offering services for free to people so that they could work from home. You had you know all of these these big corporations who were willing and ready and able to actually adapt and move forward and work through this pandemic. Yep. And the thing that stepped in the way and screwed everything up was the government. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every single time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, I'm probably less excited about this vaccine than maybe Norm is. But even in spite of that, I still absolutely believe that, you know, all of the the scientific research and the manufacturing and all of that stuff should be left to the free market. Yep. And, you know, let the market make these determinations, let the, let the consumer decide what to do with it. And you, uh, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that, that we would have weathered this pandemic way better without the government than, than with it. But will we all be wrong when the vaccine gives us third arms? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, have you considered the fact that a third arm might actually be a benefit? Oh, I mean... That's, you know, there you go. Uh, I mean, you heard it here first. Destruction right there. Yes. (laughs) Doug wants a third arm. (laughs) The fact that women have not developed third arms, I think, is proof that evolution doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Good, good, good. All right. Well, what are you looking forward to most in 2021? Oh, my. This is deafening. Can we, just, can we just? Can we just? Can we just hijack the Great Reset 
Like we could really use with a great reset, but we don't need to reset the economy. We need to reset civil governance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a, good a good one. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen, but I know. Yeah. Well, I'll just say that I think in 2021, we'll start realizing that the Great Awakening was not as good as the Great Awakening uh, and uh, <laughs> far, nice. far less necessary. Or, yeah. But, but, there you go. Thank you. Yes, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> it's late. <laughs> can I, can I, I I'm going to go with my uh, pretty selfish, <laughs> inconsequential, privileged. This is what I'm looking forward to. And I, I, I know you're all going to laugh. Hamilton really looking, too? No. <laughs> it's almost worse. Oh, oh no. Sugar I'm really looking Bella. forward to, to the MCU being available. <laughs> oh, <world>. Lord. <laughs> we have gone an entire year without one, oh. without anything from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And look what it, happened. It, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, correlation, man. Correlation is causation. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's right. Backward correlation. No, I. It's so it's so crazy. Like I think only because this week there's been trailers coming out for those things coming out in 2021, um, and so I'm you know I'm excited about those things. There are some personal things in my life going on that I'm pretty excited about. Um, uh, but I, in terms of what's going on in the broader culture, I am interested to see one how the incoming Biden administration handles a lot of things, not because I'm like worried per se, although I am in some ways, but just like, how is this going to be different? Because it's going to be, I want to say the word normal. And I don't mean that in like a positive way, but just like a normal type of like what you would expect from a president who should be doing, who shouldn't be doing what he's trying to do. Um, But also what is going to happen as the vaccine gets, um, you know, adopted, however you want to say that, how people are taking the vaccine and how herd immunity is increasing. And the more we learn about how things are happening, like what does next year's holidays look like? Are we, you know, how is it going to be like, is the, are the governors, is my governor just going to be like, all right, your masks are no longer required, but only recommended. Or is it going to be like, Hey, we're all done. Or, you know, it's obviously going to be more slow and measured or whatever. But like, I don't know, I'm just like picturing a world a year from now thinking, am I going to go to one of my grocery stores and they don't care if you wear a mask and I'm going to go to a different place and they're going to be like, yeah, masks are still required. We're still a little worried or whatever it might be. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of seeing how some of the other, the tail end of this is going to play out. Hopefully, hopefully there will be a tail end of this in 2021 and not 2022, like Bill Gates has said recently. <laughs> um, and so... But at the same time, uh, credit where credit is due or whatever, uh, Bill Gates sort of predicted that this will not be over in 2020, and he was right. Like, we all thought, oh, yeah, we'll handle this in a few weeks because, you know, it only takes two weeks. So if we take five weeks, it'll definitely be done. Um, I was a little bit of sarcasm, guys. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I I am looking forward to seeing this play out. Um, You know, my life has not been horrendously disrupted. Uh, and so I have, you know, I, and I think for the most part, the four of us have had a little bit of a, a, a the ability to watch, not quite on the sidelines, we're still participants, but it's not so soul crushing, I, I, I don't think, as it is for some other people. And, you know, I can't speak for the three of you, of course, but except for Matt. Um, but <laughs> I can speak for Matt. That's, that's fine. I can speak. I can speak for Matt because he's you know within proximity of me. Uh, <laughs> he can walk he's over the mouth your house and slap you or something. Anyway, that's my long answer to what I'm looking forward to in 2021. I'm going to dovetail off that because I think the 
for me, the looking to, I'm kind of looking forward to the retrospectives uh, on some level mm. because I've again, you know, been, I've been so involved with this since January that it, it it's, uh, I mean, it's like, it's watching science happen on fast forward. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so wild to, to kind of even just articulate it even tonight in this way. Uh, I mean, so much has been learned in fast forward mode. So much has been done in the most rapid way you could possibly imagine. And there's been so much where, you know, you've, you, this has been learned. And, and some of this gets learned in retrospect. So we have, because I mean, in, in trying to deal with these sorts of things, um, we rely on insights gained from the past. And so it'll be very interesting to see what kind of retrospectives come out not from news media, not from the government per se, but by the more historical epidemiologists, those who get, who who write the who write the hist- the the people who write the scientific history are the ones who end up ultimately having the biggest impact on the future in this regard uh, because of the way in which they can you can analyze the data after the fact. Uh, so once once kind of all of the dust settles, and then they're able to be uh, retrospectives written up uh, to try and understand these are the impacts that had these sorts of effects and uh, the, the events that, um, that, that challenged the way that we thought about certain things. Uh, I, I think it's real, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, it's, it's, it's not altogether different from the second thing I'm very uh, excited about on some level, which is that in the, in the uh, wake of economic upheaval that's been going around, uh, I think it's become more evident than ever of the inefficacy of fiat currency to really uh, meet the needs of a modern society. Uh, and and I, I'm not really going to go into all the details behind that, but to say that the the end result is that it's going to become more and more evident, I think, to people that things like Bitcoin are necessary and that mm-hmm. fiat currency mm-hmm. will fail eventually. Uh, we've had a massive influx of M1 uh, money supply, of course, uh, essentially because of Fed Fed printing, or you know, sometimes it seems like they're just adding a zero to the end of the money supply. <laughs> right. And uh, and to do that, you, you risk a lot um, from from a from an economic perspective. I mean, it, it's it's possible. That that is the, that that is the primary driver behind uh, the essentially maintenance of the stock market. I mean, who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, yeah, I I don't know what lays in store, but one thing's for sure: cryptocurrency is not going away. It will eventually become the standard, and whether that's in ten years or twenty years or fifty years, I don't know. But this is the be. I mean, I hate to give like grand proclamations in a way, but this is kind of a watershed moment, a beginning of the end, yep. if you will. Um, I, I think that this will go down in history as being a major shift in uh, in monetary policy years. I think the world has recognized that the digital life is still real, yeah. and it's not this fake thing that's sort of. It is a construct on the one hand, but on the other hand, it is a very real part of our world and people are more willing to admit that, oh, this is where life is. And 
and and I think our currency is going to be one of those things that we eventually accept as part of and you know for for the people who are holdouts so of like I can't hold it in my hands. Yeah, I think you're right, Norm. Completely. You guys are touching on one of my biggest predictions about that I made about five years ago that technology will increasingly make the state less important, and the state will more or less become a shell of what it once was, or uh, it will become more draconian because it recognizes the problem of technology. So, well, vicious monsters will fight for their survival. Yeah, yeah. and so that will very likely happen. And we're definitely seeing bits and pieces of both, the, especially over the last couple of months and the ratcheting up of of uh, the way in which social media is being kind of institutionalized in a way, and the big and how big tech has become more and more of kind of a problem. Yeah, and uh, like it's, I don't think it's as bad as some people want to make it out to believe, but I think it's definitely non-trivial. So, and it's something to watch. Well, guys, I have to say, well, Carrie, actually, hang on before I close. <laughs> did you did you say anything that you were looking forward to in 2021? I'm looking forward to my Socratic sessions. I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have any. You just like saying the word Socratic. That's right. I love. I love the word Socratic. Um, yeah, I don't have any major predictions. <laughs> You're just all doom and gloom over there. In the <laughs> sunshine. Yeah. Too. Looking forward to moving yeah. out of New Mexico. How about <laughs> Ooh, there we go. go yes, to, go to I Texas. gotta make it happen. Go to Texas, my dear. El Paso is not that far away. I know, I, I know you uh, That's okay. Uh, we'll forgive you. Well, I have to say that this is probably one of my favorite episodes to end the... Um, there's no better way to have ended this year uh, <laughs> than an episode with the three of you guys. Um, and uh, no, I really, I really truly mean that. And I realize this episode has gone long and maybe possibly just a little too arduous, but we've had fun and I hope our listeners have as well. But then again, 2020 was a long and arduous year. And here's to... <laughs> there's a, a lot way of positive to end in there. Long and arduous podcast. Yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're laughing. So we'll just end it with that. Thank you guys for being here. And, you know, I hope at some point in the near, very near future, we understand what the patriarchy is, Matthew. Oh, we'll um, find out. <laughs> we'll find out very, very soon. Wink, wink. Uh, wait a second. This is an audio podcast. So, anyway. Uh, thanks guys for joining us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Okay, so Carrie and Matt, I've done like, I don't know, half a dozen or more episodes with you on the Libertarian Christian Roundtable, which is our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And we've known each other. And I hear these jabs, I hear these jabs yeah. about mm -hmm. the patriarchy. 
And we never really talk about what it is because it's obviously not the topic of our conversation. So sure. I understand the patriarchy kind of there like a like an evil right. patriarchy. That's right. And, and and I understand the patriarchy could be like taken one way or another. I don't really know what you mean, Carrie. Like I can you, can you fill me in here? Well, b- before before we really get into the meat and potatoes, <laughs> we do need to set some boundaries here. And I think we need to give ourselves proper names. I mean, at least let people know where we are on each side. So feel free during this recording, Doug, to call me the patriarchalist. And feel free to call Carrie Collarbone McShoulderface. Oh, my gosh. No, Matthew, <laughs> gosh darn it. Oh because word. now we have to explain that. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, <laughs> no, no. That, needs, that needs no explanation. No explanation. Uh, <laughs> if anybody has been paying attention to LCI or Carrie Baldwin in the past year, there is no question what that means. So let's move on. Yeah. Notorious. Notorious. Okay. So anyway, Carrie, feel free to enlighten us on why you hate me. I don't hate you. Well, why, why you hate everything that I'm about as a patriarchalist? Okay, so I let's let's get one thing clear. I don't think that you're a true patriarchalist. No, oh, well, now you just ruined the joke. <laughs> oh man! So, what is a patriarchalist, Carrie? What do you think Matthew isn't? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the reason why I don't think that. Matthew is a real patriarchalist is because he's willing to have a conversation with me. Oh, I'm done. I'm, that's most, <laughs> patriarchalists, most patriarchalists won't converse with you because you're a woman? Uh, yes, and because they can't get past my collarbone. <laughs> I'm going to leave that on That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, they decided to make a big deal of it, so then it sort of became... My calling card. So yeah. well, if, if you were to say, here's an example of a patriarchal society by which Matthew would subscribe to, what, what would you say is the, the patriarchal society that you abhor? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do not hold to what is known as, quote unquote, biblical patriarchy or father rule. I don't think Aha. it's actually biblical. Okay. Father rule? Mm-hmm. Not, we're not talking Catholics here. No, we're not okay. talking Catholics. What is father rule? I've never actually yeah, heard that let, phrase. Let's, let's go down that rabbit hole. So, gosh, do we have to? So this is, this is the Doug Wilson thing. What do you have against Doug Wilson? The man is a saint. No, wrong. Absolutely oh wrong. Hey, are you saying saint. saint in the name of like Catholic saint or saint as in no. like yeah, as in, as in he's a brother, we'll see each other in heaven. Mm. What? Oh my oh, word. Harry wow. Baldwin. <laughs> okay. All right. We don't want to impugn Doug Wilson. That's not the point of this conversation. But I, <laughs> you guys I have, wanted to have the impromptu was, debate. Was, was the point yeah, right. for me? Anyway, go ahead, Carrie. So why do you why do you find Father Rule to be an issue? Uh, well, it's not biblical. So you can you know you can call it patriarchy and say that that's something that you want to strive for. That's fine, but it's not biblical. But can you define a little bit more and why it's not biblical? Um, because it is based on an idea about the Old Testament that is not applicable to the New Testament. 
which is? Father rule. But but give us more definition here. Put some structure behind father rule. Yeah, that's what do you phrase want? father so, rule. I have never really heard so of it. As, so, well, you should know you're the one who's a fan of Doug Wilson. Father rule is... Oh. Father rule is the idea that uh, at least in, you know, as, as it relates to me as a woman, uh-huh. that I must be under the rule of either my father or my husband. And if I'm single, then there's a huge problem. Uh, now, I, I have no idea where you get that from. Well, okay, I'm going to put Doug Wilson on the shelf for now, okay? Because I don't believe that idea. is at, at all any kind of stance that that he has taken. And Well, then you, you haven't read Doug Wilson. I, because I, Doug Wilson can, has even said... Because Doug Wilson has even said things like, single women are asking to be raped because they aren't married. Oh, okay. We'll 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 put that aside for right now, yeah. and we'll we'll look and and discuss that at a future time. But there are other aspects to a I would say a patriarchal type of of uh, of stance that I think is biblical, and a lot of people call it complementarianism or egalitarianism, uh, or that the, at least the sexes have very defined roles within life society in the church. So and you and you push back against that? Yes. So I am not a complementarian and I am not an egalitarian. An egalitarian is somebody who flattens the distinctions between the sexes and says okay. that there's no distinctions between the sexes. Okay. Uh, what a complementarian does is it flattens the actual distinction. So it says, yes, there are distinct there there are distinctions between man and woman, which I agree there are but it flattens the dynamics of those distinctions and says and prescribes what it means to be a man or a woman beyond what the Bible or nature have actually defined it as. Okay. So egalitarianism, egalitarianism just sort of eliminates the distinctions altogether. So they're wrong about that because sure. there are, there are sure. distinctions. Can I, can I ask a clarifying question here, Carrie? Yeah. My understanding of egalitarianism from a theological Christian realm, not the like public secular, you know, egalitarianism, the, the, the left is like, oh, there's no difference. Right. The, the theological, like, I guess you would call it either left-leaning, I don't want to call it that, but like egalitarian evangelicals mm-hmm. would say that with respect to the roles of women and men, there is no distinction now in the church because of Jesus Christ uh, in, in that regard. Not that there are no differences, period, but that there are no role separation. So as I understand what the, what the theological egalitarians are doing is they're saying that, that, there, that you can't actually talk about the roles in the church as being separated by gender in any way. So I do hold to male-only ordination, mm-hmm. to qualified male-only ordination. The problem that I have with that, though, or with the complementarian view, is that what they do with manhood and womanhood is they, one, they, they try to define manhood by saying positively, you know, positively, this is what manhood is, Mm -hmm. but then they define womanhood by what it is not. So uh, it's, it's a negative definition. It's whatever man is not. And that's, that's not, 
that's not fair. Well, it's not accurate because it also denies it denies the similarities that we do have just by virtue of the fact that we're human beings. Um, so we have more similarities than we than we have differences. But it goes, I think, too far in trying to prescribe what it means to be feminine versus masculine versus whatever. Like mm-hmm. uh, it tries to put people into a box. That's a box that I've never fit in. And I've been told things personally, like uh, my interest in theology is sinful because I'm a woman and it's supposed to be my husband's job to to be interested in theology. So, um, I mean, that's just one example. Wow. So I, mean, I don't even give those type of people the time of day, Carrie. Well, but here's the thing is it's, that's, that is what is in that is sort of the sentiment that has infected complementarianism. Yeah. At, at one point in time, complementarianism was just there are distinctions between the sexes, they both matter, they both contribute to society. Um, but we, you know, and we do have we do have these roles in the church, fine, uh, where only males can can participate, fine. I don't have a problem with that, right? Right. But then, you know, <laughs> then then people decided they wanted they wanted to start hammering out and solidifying what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman, and so they overstepped, mm. I think, and prescribed things that that aren't that are baseless, basically. Got it, I think Matthew. I, I think you're taking a little bit of it in kind of a monolith in a way to say that the complementarians, and frankly, I think there's a lot of people who fit a wide definition of complementarianism. I mean, there are some who would consider themselves generous complementarians. Uh, and not even to say that, you know, not women can't participate. Of course they can participate in church and the service. You know, there's just distinct roles in which it pertains to teaching and leadership. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that I'm well aware of the fact that there's this spectrum, if you will, where on one side of the spectrum, you have, it's a very you have the extreme. Spectrum. Yes, spectrum. <laughs> you have the very extreme, which I would say is patriarchy on one end and, and matriarchy on the other end. And in between that, you've got complementarianism, which is is itself, you know, on a spectrum. And then you have egalitarianism, which is also a spectrum. There are, there are egalitarians, for example, who do not uphold LGBTQ things or transgender things or, or whatnot. They will actually support traditional marriage and things like that. So that is also on a spectrum. It's all on a spectrum, but it's sort of this, no matter how you slice it, it's trying to define the genders in ways that they're not actually defined like it flattens either it, it, like it flattens defining the, it like adding more things in are necessary yeah 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 I, I i think you're hitting though on the very modern problem that we tend to run into whenever we're having to have these kinds of debates or at least uh understanding each other from a label perspective that it often, you know, we lob these labels out and it's very easy to nowadays with uh, with the level of technology that we have. Uh, but we lob, lob these labels out at each other because we both think 
we know what the other person thinks about me right. based on the label that I put on them. So I'm just saying every time you call me a patriarchalist, you're sinning and you should repent. <laughs> but you said well, I, you I mean, are. You know. <laughs> well, you know, your deep voice gives you away, Matthew. Yeah. Um, no, well, and I, I mean, I get that. I, I'm people, people who don't like me tend to call me a feminist when they don't like me. Don't like you. Um, well, patriarchalists who don't like me (laughs) um, (laughs) call me a feminist. And, Uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating to me because one, I know what a feminist is. I mean, I studied the philosophy of it. I like, I understand what it is. I understand even the different types of, of are, feminists. Are we on the fourth wave or fifth wave of feminism? I'm not sure. Which one. <laughs> I don't even know. It's It's been flattened. The first wave that came with the Mayflower. Uh, right. Have we flattened the curve of feminism? <laughs> <laughs> it only took two weeks. All right, so... I, I've been amused by this conversation and I hope we've answered some questions, but before this, <laughs> I'm sure there's only more own, questions. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's kind of fine. We'll, we'll leave this for another post-credit scene uh, before this turns into its own very, yes, episode, no, let's cut it off. We'll just cut it off there. And um, you know, cause Paul said something along the lines of, you know, cutting things off. So it's, it's uh, better to cut this off now while Carrie is wrong. So let's go. Oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> oh, what I, I mean, what if I could, if I could get into my Morpheus voice? What if I told you that both of you were wrong? Oh well, uh, I wouldn't believe you. 